Welcome to Celebrate Poe. My name is George Bartley, and this is episode 197, Poe and Halloween. This month, Celebrate Poe is looking at the writer and some of his connections to Halloween, and this is the second part specifically of Edgar Allan Poe and Halloween. Now, 19th century America did certainly didn't uh, celebrate Halloween the way we do, especially with today's uh, tremendous commercialism. But uh, Poe even wrote about Stonehenge, one of the early sites where you might call Halloween-like rituals were said to be performed. Now, first, a little story. Uh, I've mentioned earlier on this podcast that when I lived in West Virginia, I worked for the West Virginia Humanities Council. I did a great deal of research about Poe, dressed up to look like the writer, and would go to various schools, book fairs, libraries, and literary events to do a program about Poe, first relating the story of my life as the character of Poe, using sort of a Poe accident, or accent, I hope it wasn't too much of an accident, then answering questions, still in character as Edgar Allan Poe, and then as myself, where I didn't use an accent, about my research into Poe's life and times. As you can imagine, October was always the busiest time, and sometimes it seemed like every day was full. And of course, this was largely because of Halloween. Uh, Poe is frequently known as the Halloween poet. Well, today, I would like to delve into two poems that I always included in any presentation. The first is from Poe's first published work, and the second is arguably the most famous poem in the English language. Then this episode will end with a poem that Kevin J. Hayes, the editor of the Cambridge Companion to Edgar Allan Poe, has called the greatest Halloween poem in all of American literature. Well, well, hello, Mr. Poe out there. Yes, Mr. Poe, I think I see you. Uh, greetings, Mr. Bartley. Uh, yes, Mr. Poe, uh, you, you probably remember from the last episode of this podcast uh, that um, I wanted to delve into some of your poems that embody the Halloween spirit. We talked about Halloween customs uh, in the last episode, uh, but today I'd like for you to read some of your poems that are often associated with Halloween. Yes, Mr. Bartley, that could prove to be most intriguing. And, and I am most happy that you asked me from, to read from my poetry. I never read from my prose works in front of an audience. Well, Mr. Poe, first here is a poem from your very first published work, Tamerlane and Other Poems. The poem is called Spirits of the Dead. By the way, uh, this poem was also used in Mike Flanagan's uh, The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix. Yes, Mr. Bartley. Spirits of the dead, thy soul shall find itself alone mid dark thoughts of the gray tombstone, not one of all the crowd to pry into thine hour of secrecy. Be silent in that solitude which is not loneliness, for then the spirits of the dead who stood in life before thee are again in death around thee, and their will shall overshadow thee. B. 
be still. The night, though clear, shall frown, and the stars shall look not down from their high thrones in the heaven with light like hope to mortals given. But their red orbs without being to thy weariness shall seem as a burning in the fever which would cling to thee forever. Now are thoughts that shalt not banish. Now are visions ne'er to vanish. From thy spirit shall they pass. Ah, no more like dewdrop from the grass. The breeze, the breath of God is still, and the mist upon the hill shadowy, shadowy yet unbroken, is a symbol and a token how it hangs upon the trees, a mystery of mysteries. Oh, Mr. Poe, that always gives me chills. Mr. Bartley, thank you. Uh, and, And Mr. Poe, Uh, You may be honored, though not surprised, uh, that in attempting to portray you, I always included a recitation of the raven. Uh, Yes, I felt at the time uh, I wrote the raven that I had written the greatest poem ever written by an American. Well, for those of you who may not be familiar, uh, the poem was first published in January of 1845. It is said that the poem is often noted for its musicality, stylized language, and and supernatural atmosphere. Uh, Yes, Mr. Poe, and I know that the raven is probably known by many people out there from uh, Homer Simpson's rendition at Halloween time on The Simpsons. Simpsons. The poem tells of a, a talking raven's mysterious to a disraught lover, tracing the man's slow descent into madness. I could go on and on, and definitely will in the future, delving into the meanings and dynamics of the raven. Uh, but for now, Mr. Poe, would you read from uh, read aloud uh, your famous work? I mean, I, I never retire of it. Certainly, Mr. Bartley. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. "'Only this, and nothing more.'" Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is and and nothing more. Presently, my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. 
But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness, peering long, I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming, dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenoa. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this and, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely this is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what their is and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter when, with many a uh, flit and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made, he not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven. Ghastly, grim and, ancient, grim and ancient raven, wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy, thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on that placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he flutter, till I scarcely more than muttered. Other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Doubtless at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what, I what, it, what it utters is its only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore. Till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. 
This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet, violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press, ah, never more. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee by these angels. He hath sent thee respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet said, I think of evil, prophet still the bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror hanted, tell me truly, I implore. Is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet said, I think of evil, prophet still of bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore. Tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting. Get thee back into the tempest on the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted Nevermore. Wow. Thank you, Mr. Poe. At the end of the poem, I imagine that a raven is still sitting on a bust of the Greek god of war, staring down at a shadow on the floor. Is the shadow the body of the narrator, or does the shadow represent hope that now exists nevermore? Well, now for the last poem for this episode. Uh, Let me introduce it with a passage by Poe expert Kevin J. Hayes from Edgar Allan Poe, the poet of Halloween. Mr. Hayes writes, The night before Halloween a couple of years ago, a friend telephoned in a panic. I'm going to a Halloween party tomorrow night, he told me. Every guest must bring a poem to read aloud. With, with no idea what poem would be appropriate, he was calling his friendly neighborhood English professor to ask for some advice. Without hesitation, I recommended Edgar Allan Poe's Ulalume, which I considered the greatest Halloween poem 
in the history of American language. Set up in a graveyard on Halloween, the night the dead arise, the poem is filled with <clears throat> woodlandish ghouls that guide the path of a lover on the way to the tomb of his beloved. Now, <clears throat> as I understand it, Ulla Loom was written for the American Review in 1847. <clears throat> Two years before, the same magazine published The Raven for the first time. Isn't that correct, Mr. Poe? Yes, Mr. Bartley. The poem takes place on a night in the lonesome October, with a gray sky as the leaves are withering for the autumn season. So you have a Halloween connection right there. Well, Mr. Bartley, the narrator roams with a volcanic heart in the region of Weir, that's W-E-I-R, by the Lake of Arba. He has a, a serious and sober talk with his soul, though he doesn't realize it is October or where his roaming is taking him. He remarks on the fact that as the stars and then in the night fade away, he wonders if he knows that the tears on his cheeks have not yet dried. Mr. Poe, that, that's a very strange observation. Ah, but his soul, however, mistrusts the star and where it is leading. Just as the narrator claims his, or calms his soul, he realizes he has unconsciously walked to the vault of his lost Ulanum on the very night he had buried her, buried her a year before. Well, Mr. Poe, that sounds like it has a very Annabelle Lee vibe. And your descendant, Dr. Harry Lee Poe, writes that he believes that the subject of the poem was your wife. Virginia as she was dying from consumption. I could go on and on and explain what all of the proper names like Auber, Weir, and Psyche mean, but many people believe the poem was written as an elocution lesson where sound is most important. It might be most effective to uh, let the words pour over you and just not worry about their meaning out there. After all, Fear and dread is not something you intellectually understand, but something you feel. So, Mr. Poe, would you read Ulalum for us? Certainly, Mr. Bartley. The skies, they were ashen and sober. The leaves, they were crisped and sere. The leaves, they were withering and sere. It was night in the lonesome October on the most immemorial year. It was hard by the dim lake of Abba in the misty mid-region of Weir. It was down by the dark tarn of Abba in the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Here once through an alley titanic of cypress I roamed with my soul, of cypress with psyche my soul. These were days when my heart was volcanic, as the scoriac rivers that roll, as the lavas that relentlessly roll, their sulfurous current down Yannick in the ultimate climbs of the pole, that groan as they roll down Mount Yannick in the realms of the boreal pole. Our talk had been serious and sober, 
but our thoughts, they were palsied and sea. Our memories were treacherous and sea. For we knew not the month was October, and we marked not the night of the year. Ah, night of all nights in the year. We, we noted not the dim lake of Abba, though once we had journeyed down here. Remembered not the dark tarn of Abba, nor the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. And now as the night was senescent, and star-dials pointed to morn, as the star-dials hinted of morn, at the end of our path a liquescent and nebulous luster was born, out of which a miraculous crescent arose with a duplicate horn, a starte's bediamond crescent, distinct with its duplicate horn. And I said, she is warmer than Diane. She rolls through an ether of sighs. She revels in a region of sighs. She has seen that the tears are not drowned these cheeks where the worm never dies. And has come past the stars of the lion to point us the path to the skies, uh, to the Lethean peace of the skies. Come up in despite of the lion to shine on us with her bright eyes. Come up through the layer of the lion with love in her luminous eyes. But Psyche, uplifting her finger, said sadly this star I mistrust. Her parlor I strangely mistrust. Ah, hasten, ah, let us not linger. Ah, fly, let us fly, for we must. In terror she spoke, letting sink her wings till they trailed in the dust. In agony sobbed, letting sink her plumes till they trailed in the dust. Till they sorrowfully trailed in the dust. I replied, this is nothing but dreaming. Let us on by this tremulous light. Let us bathe in this crystalline delight. It is its sibilic splendor is beaming with hope and beauty tonight. See, it flickers up the sky through the night. Ah, we safely must trust to its gleaming and be sure it will lead us aright. We safely must trust to a gleaming that cannot but guide us aright, since it flickers up to heaven through the night. Then I pacified Psyche and kissed her, and templed her out of her gloom, and conquered her scruples and gloom, and we passed to the end of the vista, where we stopped by the door of a tomb, by the door of a legended tomb. And I said, What is written, dear sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulalum, Ulalum, it is the vault of thy lost Ulalum. Then my heart it grew ashen and sober, and as the leaves that were crowded, crisped and sear, as the leaves that were withering and sear, and I cried it was surely October on this very night of last year, that I journeyed, I journeyed down here, that, that I brought a, a, a dread burden down here, on, on this night of all nights in the year, ah, oh, what demon hath tempted me here, well, I know now this dim lake of Abba, this misty mid-region of Weir. Well, I know now this dark tarn of Abba, this ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Well, Mr. Bartley, I must take my leave. Have a happy Halloween and farewell. Well, goodbye, Mr. Poe. Well, next week, join Celebrate Poe 
for part one of a very special episode series, The Ultimate Horror. Sources include The Cambridge Companion to Edgar Allan Poe, edited by Kevin J. Hayes, Edgar Allan Poe, The Poet of Halloween, also by Kevin J. Hayes, and The Complete Works of Edgar Allan Poe by Edgar Allan Poe. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the life, times, and works of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe.